This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. We are continuing our series, Pray Out Loud at Home Every day. I'm curious if the out loud piece has messed with you a little bit, right? Like, how awkward is it for you uh, to pray out loud? Do you ever have one of those, like, meet the parent moments when he's at the table and he's being asked to pray for the first time and he's like, oh my goodness, this is going to go bad? I I was thinking, I have a, my best friend in middle school, his name was Blake. We were at First Baptist Church in seventh grade Sunday school. And they asked Blake to lead the prayer uh, in front of the entire like seventh and eighth grade uh, group. And I knew he was nervous. And so I'll never forget. He's like, okay, everybody bow your heads. And like he, we bow our heads and close our eyes. And there's like silence for like 10 seconds. And I'm like, oh man, poor Blake. Like, what's he going to say? So finally he's like, dear God, I want to pray for old people that they don't die. <laughs> All right. That's, a good, that's not a bad prayer. That's not bad. Or have, have you ever been in a prayer circle where like they're going around and like you're waiting for your turn, right? And you're like formulating like I'm going to pray this, and I'm going to pray this, and I'm going to pray this. And then the person right next to you prays that and that and that. And you're like, that is so not fair. And now I have to start over. And, you know, spirit's supposed to give me the words. It better happen really, really fast, right? Um, or maybe you grew up in a church where, like, the chairman, the deacons would come up, and pre- all of a sudden he would slip into King James English, right? Like, oh, heavenly father, thou art shouts and thou's. Like, he's like Shakespeare's on stage. And you're like, e- you know, even the angels in heaven right now are like, oh, Everyone, listen, this is good, right? And you're like in the back going like, if that's what prayer is, if that's what praying out loud is, I don't know that I can do that. I've always been self-conscious, and this did not help. I remember one time I worked for a church, and the pastor sat me down with um, a little tape recorder. He goes, Tim, um, I'm going to ask you to pray and go. And he clicked record, and I'm like, this is weird, you know, Father, I don't know why I'm doing this, but apparently he wants to record my prayer. And so... Then I get done and he hits play and he points out that I was using the phrase Father God like an um. I'd be like, you know, Father God, we want to thank you and Father God, we want to do this. And he made me count how many Father Gods there were. So I was really, really secure in my praying after that little experience. No, it was horrible. (laughs) Like, so I I, I just want to start out and say like, if praying out loud freaks you out, like I... I get it, but one of the things that I hope you're gonna see in this series is that we're, we're giving you some tools that, um, that will help mitigate this idea of like, okay, God, I, I'm not sure how to pray. Freddie talked the first week about the Lord's Prayer. Um, he's talked about ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And this morning, I want to give us one more tool for those of you that like are freaked out about the praying out loud thing, because I want us to see what it looks like to pray a psalm back to God. Now, why do I say this? 
Some of us, we feel like we have to like fill space with words. And the problem with that is we sometimes neglect listening to God and reflecting back to God an accurate picture of what he is. And one of the reasons I love the Psalms is in the Psalms, you meet the real God, not the God of your making, right? You meet a, a God that is personal, that is majestic, that is holy, that is without flaw. And that is really important because we know that we reflect on what we meditate on. And um, uh, I got to do a lot of reading during the pandemic, which I love. And one of the books I read was a book called How God Changes Your Brain. This is written by a neuroscientist named um, Andrew Newberg, Um, not a Christian. He is an agnostic, but he wanted to study how people that had religious experiences, what happened in their brain when they prayed or when they meditated on uh, God. And the thing that kept coming up over and over again in this book is this concept, you've probably heard of it, of a mirror neuron. A mirror neuron means uh, in your brain, we tend to reflect what we see. This is why if you're watching uh, any of those horrible cable news shows, right? Like at nine o'clock at night and they're ranting, this is why you get angry. You're, you're mirroring what you see. This is why those of you have, that have soft hearts you see someone that is crying, whether on TV or in person, um, often you'll cry as well. It's mere neurons. Um, the Apostle Paul, by the way, understood this, right? That what we reflect on is who we become. And that's why he says in Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. It's almost like Paul knew something that others did not. Well, this agnostic brain scientist, I, I love what he found out. He says, What science now tells us is that we have a neural system that actively participates in its own neural construction. Like literally, biologically, your brain literally changes based on what you meditate on. And so you might say, well, that's great. So if you meditate on God, that's going to be a good thing, right? And I would say, well, it depends on what sort of God you're meditating on, because there are there are people that meditate on a God that is just angry all the time, that's just sitting up in the clouds waiting to zap you for something that you've done wrong. And what he would say is, if you meditate on that God, don't be surprised when the legalism that you feel like you experienced from God, you're now going to place that on other people and you're going to judge other people the way that God, you feel, has judged yourself. But what he said, and I love this, he says, what we learned is when people meditated on the unconditional love of God, Again, an agnostic says this. He said it stimulates the brain and it appears to strengthen the same neural passages that causes us to love others. I love that. I love when science tells us what scripture already told us. That as we meditate on the character of God, as we pray, it changes us and motivates us to love other people better. And so that's my goal this morning. My goal this morning is to teach us how to pray a psalm. And we're actually going to literally practice what we preach. We're going to go through a psalm here and look at what it means to reflect what God is doing in this psalm and watch how God will change the heart of David in the midst of this. I love, I love the psalms. The psalms are kind of a, a lot of them are like punk rock songs or country songs that just like are pouring out their heart and lamenting and telling God, all these horrible emotions that are coming out of us. And you'll watch as God takes, sometimes mid-turn, takes the heart of the psalmist, of the singer, and turns it toward him. 
And that's what we're going to see this morning is how God changed David and then hopefully us as well through Psalm chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 16. And this is a Psalm that is for anybody that has ever had their foundation shaken. And let me just kind of tell you three ways this could play out. Number one is this, relationships. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but I think the pandemic was really difficult on a lot of our relationships. Is that, is that true for you? Like, did, did you have like family relationships that maybe were strained or uh, especially in this polarized political climate, maybe you had um, friendships that were strained uh, during the pandemic and, or maybe even worse, maybe during the pandemic, uh, you were shaken by what you feel was a betrayal. Like maybe there was a friend or um, a loved one or a spouse or whatever it is that you feel like, okay, this is a relationship that was incredibly meaningful to me. I put invested so much in this. And at some point they're just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this relationship. And and you feel like they have dismissed you and decided that you are no longer worth the effort. And that shook you up. Some of you, your foundation is, is, is shaken because of a broken relationship. Uh, For others, it's aging or, or even death. And this is a tough one. We've, uh, I've been a part of two funerals in the last two weeks. Uh, Both of these were um, men that lived their life well for the glory of God, which um, is is an amazing thing when that happens. But it also reminds us of our own mortality, right? Um, And this is funny to me because like, it's not really about age. We all have like our midlife crisis at different uh, times. Some of you never had a midlife crisis some of you had it like when you were like in high school, right? Like I, I had my midlife crisis when I was 22. I'll never forget where I was, I was uh, at Tennessee Tech. I was on a couch and I was just kind of doing this with my head. And I'm all of a sudden, I'm like, what, what is that? It was like a piece of hair. It's like, oh my goodness, am I going bald? And I wasn't, thankfully. Whew, I was like a close call, right? Like uh, that was like my, what? Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> that was my midlife crisis, right? At age 22, now I'm fine. Uh, for some of you, right, it's, it's like uh, you're hanging on, like beauty is fleeting, right? This is not my problem. That has never been my problem. Like some of you feel like beauty is fleeting and you're like struggling against um, uh, trying to defy your age. Um, if that's you, by the way, here's your positive thought of the day. In a hundred years, all of us are going to look about the same. Like, like no one person is going to be more beautiful than another, all right? That's your, that's your positive thought for the day, right? Um, but that... That can shake your foundation, right? The the aging process and people um, that pass that are our loved ones, that can really mess with us and shake our foundations to the core. And then the last one is this. Maybe you felt your foundation is shaky because um, you just don't feel like your life has has amounted to what you thought it would be at this point in your life. Um, And to make it matters worse, when someone gets what you wanted, it could be the job, the promotion, the scholarship, a guy or a girl, the house, the car. And then to add fuel to the fire, someone compliments them for whatever it is they've done. Can you believe how good they are? Can you believe they got this job? And instead of sharing their praise, you actually resent it because you think that should have been me. This is for those of you whose foundation feels empty when you realize that every desire, once it's fulfilled, that high lasts for about a day and then you're right back to baseline. And again, science has proven this as well. And you feel like, man, what is my life? My foundation is shaken. 
what you're going to see here in this psalm is David pouring his heart out to God, and you're going to see God in turn changing his heart as well. Read with me Psalm chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So if you wake up and you're feeling your foundation is shaken, what does it look like to to pray a prayer, a psalm like Psalm 16 back to God? If you'll notice, the first step is he cries out to God for refuge. Notice it starts out with a cry. He's being emotional here. He says, God, I want you to save me. And it literally says, um, when it says in verse two, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. It looks like he's repeating Lord, Lord. Actually, literally he's saying, I say to Yahweh, you are my master. And then it says, literally, apart from you, no good. I love that. Like literally, it's apart from you, no good. David here is running hard after God and his affections are following him. Um, listen, if you were brought up in church, you have a lot of the truths of the gospel and of scripture up here in your mind. Uh, the best illustration I can give you is, I, I mentioned my friend Blake earlier. We would, uh, every day after school, we would take a bus over to First Baptist Church, the activity center there. And uh, they had like a little snack room or whatever with a Coke machine. And the Coke machine was always broken. I remember like you would take a quarter and you'd put the quarter in the Coke machine and you're, you would wait to hear it go like all the way down and like register and you could tell it would just get like stuck like right here. And so Blake and I were, um, you know, we were like 50 pounds like uh, of, you know, <laughs> pure bone, no muscle. And like we would run as fast as we could and jump into the Coke machine. And the Coke machine almost always won. But <laughs> when we won, you could hear the little quarter go just like doo -doo -doo, and drop. It's like, okay, it registered. Prayer and worship is like beating the Coke machine because we have these truths that yes, God loves us and God should be our source of joy. But if it just lives up here and it never gets down here, then we don't actually live it out. And so what we need to understand is these Psalms for us is kind of beating the Coke machine until that quarter drops, till the truth of scripture becomes a fire in your life. And that's what's happening here. David's heart here is catching. He says, I'm gonna run after you, God save me apart from you no good. It's not just about belief. It's about joy that David is having. And look at verse three. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out 
or take their names on my lips. Here David is going, when it comes to the people that I want to hang out with, like there is a joy that comes in hanging out with people that treasure God. And I, and I love that we're starting community groups. I cannot wait in two weeks, two and a half weeks until community groups start because we have a chance to practice verse three together. As saints, we're gonna run hard after God together. And you know that when you've experienced community like that, there is nothing like that. And David says, that is where I get my delight. Then look at verse five. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. All right, let's think about this for a second. I've got um, some beautiful cups up here that uh, all of this could be yours at the bookstore, by the way, or the seven-minute party. Got this one and this one. Cups. He, he talks about you're my cup, right? You are my portion. If a cup is our experience or if it's like what we sort of get out of life, let's just kind of talk about this for a second. Like we take the resources that God has given us and, um, and then we, we make big purchases in our life, right? We look at the resources and we say, what can I buy with this amount of money? And so, uh, you know, we just moved to Clarksville about a little less than four months ago. And I, I got to tell you, like the house that we move it, moved into, I feel like so blessed. It was of God. In fact, um, it wasn't this house, it was this house right here, right? Like that, that house was fine as like a starter home, but this house right here, like I think I could see us like retiring in this house. It's, um, it's big enough for us. We can grow into it. It has a bonus room. It can handle our two dogs, including our bigger dog that's 130 pounds. Like there is nothing about this house that like I could ever want anything more about. So we feel just incredibly blessed that God would have given us a house just like that Oh, wow, that's your house, huh? <laughs> that is, how much you pay for that? Oh, wow. Uh, good interest rate? That's, man, that is a beautiful house. Oh, oh, you have a swimming pool. <laughs> cool, I, I have a slip and slide. Hmm. Get a lot of grass burns with it, but that's cool. That's, that's quite the house. Like one day, I'm gonna get this house, right? Isn't this what we do, right? We always have this, and so we're, well, we're not there, but we get this. And this is fine until we see something else. That's what contentment does. And by the way, we go here, and there's always going to be something over here even bigger, right? It's always one more thing. We do this with experiences as well, don't we? Like, we say, you know what, Friday night, I just need a rest. Like, I just need a rest. We're going to have a nice, like, family night. We're going to find good film on Netflix, we're going to eat pizza and just enjoy life. And then you get on social media and you're like, maybe you get on Instagram and you're like, huh, do you see who's going went out tonight? Oh, they're at the Ryman. Wait, who's in concert? Why are we here? Why weren't we invited? Right? Like, we're fine with this until we see this. That's the danger of discontentment. Now, it's a dangerous game to play this right? Um, because it's not about how rich or poor you are. I want, I want you to hear that because I've seen rich people that are consumed by what they don't have. I have seen poor people that are bitter about what they don't have, but then I've seen godly people 
that just can't give enough away. Like their heart just continues to grow of like, all right, God, I gave this much, but like, I want you to grow my heart and I want to be able to give even more. And I think in, U- in Uganda, I've seen the most content people that I've ever seen in my entire life that live under conditions that many of us could not even imagine. And so it's not about what you have or what you don't have. It's about how much your heart hurts and what your heart hurts for. In other words, does your heart hurt for what you don't have? Or is your, does your heart hurt for the things like David's heart hurts for, which is like, I see these people that are running after other gods and I know that that is not where life is found. David here looks at all the cups and he says, like God, when I look at you, like you're my cup, like you're my portion. Like when I drink of you, like every sip, every bite is joy and it's delight. Father, you are my portion, you are my cup, you are enough. And he says, you hold my lot. In other words, uh, when the dice is rolled, when it feels like a shot in the dark, it's not. Because God is sovereign and he sits on his throne and he knows every detail of your life and nothing that happens in your life is a surprise to him. And then in verse six, he says this, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What's David talking about here? These are, he's talking about boundary lines. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Well, the commentators didn't really know what to do with this verse because David is a king. So like, what, what do boundary lines even mean to a king? As he's looking out, it's all his. It's all his. Is he saying like, this is great. I want my borders to be expanded. And I love this because what the commentators will point out is that if you go to verse 11, the same Hebrew word for pleasant places in verse six is also in verse 11. Let me just read this. In your presence are pleasures forevermore. And so what they said is this, David's not talking about like literal boundary markers. He's not talking about his property line. He's talking about God being his definition. In your presence, there are pleasures forevermore. In other words, I think he's saying that since God holds my lot and it's him that is my portion of my cup, that the lines that he has given me are his presence and he pushes me into the center of his presence and that is where joy and delight is found. We talked about this during Sabbath a couple months ago. Remember we said that you are not the bricks that you brick. You're not, you're not your job, you're not your education, you're not, your best, you're not the money that you make. That's kind of what David's saying here. David's saying is my joy, my delight, my foundation isn't in all that stuff because if it was, then that is a foundation that can crash because it can all be taken away. But in Christ, in, when God is my definition, when the boundary lines are his presence, then I get joy and I get delight. The truth is that when we are discontent, it is our way of saying, God, I don't trust that you know what is best for me. Psalm 16 says, you are enough, that you are my cup, you are my portion. The boundary lines have fallen me, on me in pleasant places. Your boundary lines, not anyone else's, not anyone else's standard, not a beauty or standard set by the culture, not the right job, not the right school, not the right house, not the right acclaim. God, you are enough, you are enough. 
And then he goes to verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Your head hits the pillow at night and you can rest easy because it's not up to you. You're not in control. Your lot is of God's and God is holding all things together. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you not, will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So just think about this. Your, 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 your foundation is shaken. It's a relationship gone bad, a business deal that didn't go the way you thought, maybe a health scare or someone that you loved so much passed away. And you start at verse one and you cry out to God with emotion, God, save me, you are my refuge. And you cling to God and you say, you are my Lord, apart from you, no good. And in that pursuit, he realizes that God is the one who defines him and that his foundation is unshakable. Lord, you are my cup, you are my portion and the lines have fallen on me in pleasant places. I'm not looking to the left or to the right because you are my everything. And then in verse eight, he gets to the culmination and says, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And then David doesn't just stop there. He says, hey God, this thing that you and I have, it's like too good. It's too good for death to separate us. Now remember, when this is written, there is not um, a very well-developed understanding of the afterlife of heaven and hell, right? And so David is like, He's really kind of going out on a limb here going like this thing that you and I have, God, like death, like you're powerful enough. If you don't want it to, death doesn't have to separate us. And he, said, he says, in fact, I'm going to ask that you don't abandon me to Sheol, the grave, the underworld. Now, um, so David here is just saying you're powerful enough to not let death separate us. And so the commentators are like, okay. What's David talking about here? Because David has already been told that his ancestors are going to be the ones on the throne. David already knows that he is going to die, that he is going to decay. What is he talking about? Well, if you go to the New Testament, and I love this, this is beautiful. Peter actually uses this psalm in one of his sermons. Um, look at Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. He says, fellow Israelites... I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Peter says David didn't even know it, but he was pointing toward a greater David because only Jesus was completely faithful. Only Jesus did not see decay because he died on the cross and was raised three days later. Now think about this. If you really took that to heart, like how would it affect you like this week? How would it affect your decision-making like literally tomorrow? Like 
if, you, if it wasn't just a thought in your head, but it became a fire in your belly, what happens next is people will look at you and go, you know what, I don't really understand the way they live their life, but they carry themselves with a, with a boldness on the one hand and a humility on the other that is unlike anything I've ever seen. It's because you're thinking about life from a different perspective, one that is eternal. All of a sudden, they're going to look at you and they're going to see that you genuinely cheer on other people's victories with no malice in your heart. You can do that because you hold these truths together. You'll be able to laugh with those who laugh. You'll be able to cry with those who cry, but with hope. And, that, and they will watch you be unshakable because of the foundation that you've set. And you might say, well, Tim, like, that sounds great, but like, sometimes I, that just doesn't feel true to me. Like, those aren't just the words that naturally come out of my mouth on a day-to-day basis. Like, God, you, you know, you are my portion, you are my cup, I'm just content with you. That's not just natural. And I want to say, I know. That's where we have to slow down and sit. I don't know about you guys, I, I love... Uh, our area around here, it's like a fireworks tent all year long somewhere. And I remember I was the kid that would do fireworks year round. And there were times that if I didn't have a match or a lighter, I would get out of my back patio and I would just take a magnifying glass. You know what I'm saying? And I'd put the firecracker down and I would just sit there with the magnifying glass until the sun like went through it and hit the wick. And I would just sit there and wait. And then eventually you hear If you don't feel the truths, if the truths of Scripture are in your head that they're not here, I want to suggest that you haven't sat long enough. The way that we pray the Psalms isn't fast. You read it slow, and then you read it a second time, and you read it a third time, and you just sit, and you recognize that you're not the one that lights it, but God is going to take something, and he's going to light the fire. And all of a sudden, the Scripture comes alive and you're, this psalm, all of a sudden, it changes. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, my goodness, it hits me. My foundation feels weak and it feels shaken because I'm trying to stand on something that was never meant to be stood on. And you sit and you let God take the truths from here to here. God, I'm crying out to you. I need you to save me. You're my refuge. Apart from you, no good. And when I'm with the people that also treasure you, it fuels my heart and I take delight. God, you're my portion and my cup. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places because it's you. You're my definition. And for that reason, I will not be shaken. Are you shaken up this morning? Let's learn to pray a psalm back to God and let God change our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we so often run after other little g-gods. We run after things that were never meant to be our foundation. And so, Father, this morning, we want to lay those at your feet. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray out loud at home every day so that um, our minds can be renewed 
afresh. You say that your mercies are new every morning. And Father, I pray that we would learn to sit long enough to allow you to take the truths of what we know in our head until they become fire in our hearts. You're a good God. You're a graceful God. You're a God that loves us unconditionally. And as we think on you, as we meditate on you, as we pray to you, send us out to a world that desperately needs to see the hope that is found in you and in you alone. And then we won't be shaken. Father, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.